you know, it's, I can't help but feel sometimes the stares or, you know, the glance that I would get from people. I I try to ignore it as much as I can. And I try not to think about it, but when I I feel like it happens so much, it just, it kind of gets to me. And then I want to hide my face with a mask and sunglasses. Hey, and welcome to I'm Adopted, Now What? A podcast where we talk about all things race, culture, and identity, one chat at a time. This is for people who want to get real, get deep, and figure out, now what? I'm your host, Liza. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Uh, Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Before we jump into the conversation, I wanted to try something new for season three. Uh, I wanted to do a little Q&A type situation. Basically, I am looking for more ways for me to connect directly with the audience. And I figured uh, giving all of you a weekly chance, a chance every week to ask me questions that come up. Maybe you listen to the episode and you have more questions and so you can save them for next time. Uh, I just, you know, figured it would be a good opportunity for me to get to know everyone better and interact with everyone. I am always saying all the time uh, in my uh, episodes and I actually say it in this one today as well, that over-communication and just communication in general is so, so important and making sure that that avenue of communication is always open between the adoptee and whoever is their caretaker. So I guess consider this just me making sure that you all know the avenue is open. If you personally are going through something and you want to ask for support or advice, Uh, please tune in. I am happy to be that for you. Or if you just have like a burning question that you've always wanted to ask, then definitely uh, like make sure you follow the podcast's Instagram page because I ask for these questions on the stories over there. Or I don't know, if you just want to support the show and participate because the more participation there is, the more successful this podcast can and will be. So without further ado, I feel like sometimes depending on the week, depending on what's going on in the world, uh, I might have a more specific question every week. But because this is the first episode, we're just starting uh, trying this out. I wanted people to ask me anything. So I asked on Instagram for followers to uh, write in questions about anything as long as it was related to either adoption, race, culture, identity, or podcasting even. So I will try and keep this under 10 minutes and in that time I will answer as many questions as I can. I got a lot of great responses. So okay, The first question, and I guess I should mention that all of these, of course, will be anonymous so that people are not afraid to ask personal questions if they want. So I won't be saying who submitted each question. Okay, question one. How old must you be to be a guest on your show? This is a great question, and I would say as long as you have parental consent or consent from your guardian, then 
you are more than welcome to be a guest on the show. Obviously, the older you are, the more life experience you have to talk about. Um, But that being said, you know, I have said from the beginning that my target audience is, uh, you know, around the 13, 11 to 14 10 years old maybe around that age because that's when I feel like you know me thinking about it looking back that's the age that I think having something like this podcast would have been the most impactful in my life so I mean it's totally up to you and it depends on kind of how I guess practiced in a way you are with thinking about your adoption um, or you, whatever situation you want to talk about on the show and kind of how long have you been dealing with that, etc. And as long as you, you know, have the ability to communicate on those things, then you can definitely be a guest on the show. And we've had parent, like parent uh, child combos on the show before. So if your parents were up for it and, you know, uh, you were interested, then you could totally uh, do it together as well. The next question is, did you ever identify and mix up your race with your adoption? Now, I'm, I'm not 100% sure how to uh, interpret that question, but I'm just going to go with like what how I like took it to mean. So did I basically, did I ever like say I was white or mix up me being adopted by a white family with the fact that my race isn't white, my race is actually Chinese uh, or, you know, Asian. Yes, I definitely do that. Uh, I always forget that I look Asian. I always think I'm white in my head. And when I'm operating on a day-to-day basis and having interactions with my friends and my family and, you know, all that kind of stuff, I am not thinking at all that I I just it, I completely forget that I am Asian that I look Chinese. Um, so if that is your question, then definitely yes. Otherwise, I'm not a hundred percent sure what you mean, and you should submit what you actually meant next week because I really am interested in your question and I want to make sure I get you the proper answer. And the last question that I'm going to answer just because we are right at the 10 minute mark is what is your opinion on nature versus nurture? And I think that adoptees have a really good vantage point on this subject because, you know, both are at play. We have obviously our genetics and our biology. Uh, It travels with us, you know, it doesn't like stay in the country we were adopted from or something weird like that. And then obviously we are raised by or, or you know nurtured by um the families that adopt us with who are not you know genetically related to us so we get both sides uh kind of smashed together i totally think that nurture is stronger than nature i mean obviously of course genetics is going to play a certain role in especially in appearance that goes without saying but also in terms of some of the things we're good at but i think more often than not like talents that are required skills that are learned um level of intellect can all be influenced by nurture you know by a diverse and inclusive uh neighborhood and school system that supports its teachers so that you have good teachers in schools who really care about making sure their students have a good education and then that way they can get good jobs and um 
you know, good careers and make a decent wage and a decent living and, you know, thrive in the way that we think of, you know, we in America think of thriving, right? And obviously, you know, when I say you have like a successful career, I mean in whatever it is, whether that's, you know, a chef or if you want to be a teacher or if you want to be an astronaut or a doctor or if you want to be a therapist or, you know, if you want to be a shoemaker, like whatever it is, whatever fulfills you, that's ideally all of that can come from nurture and from your environment because with the right combination and the right tools, I really do think that you'll become a confident and competent person and I really think that you're unstoppable with those two things. Now, obviously... Happy, you know, having access to all of that stuff is a privilege, and so privilege is definitely at play here. I don't, I'm not going to go into it right now because it's that's not the time, and we talk about it all the time in the show. But there's definitely privilege there, so definitely uh, don't forget that as well when thinking about nature versus nurture, because I think privilege is in many ways sort of a catalyst for whether the scales uh, tip one way or the other. So yeah, I think I'll end there. This was so cool. I really enjoyed kind of looking at all the questions and I was excited, you know, waiting for the questions to come in and then coming on here and talking about it sort of off the cuff. I really like that and I hope that you all found it interesting too. You know, I'm, my idea was to kind of break up the interview a little bit and have a shorter interview with different Uh, segments kind of in one episode just to keep it interesting and fresh and give you guys something different. Now I am so excited to hop right into the episode with Andrew. I really hope you all enjoy it. Hey everyone, thanks for coming back to the show. We are here, we are starting season three. My first guest is Andrew. Hi Andrew and welcome to the show. Hi, it's so great being here. Um, Thank you so much for having me and I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you as well. Um, So why don't you give a little bit of an update, just, you know, who you are? Yeah, sure. So my name's Andrew. Um, I live in New Jersey, uh, going to school at Montclair State University. I am a Korean-American, adopted from Seoul. Yeah, not much about it, to be honest, (laughs) but... Nice. Another New Jerseyan. I'm um, originally from New Jersey as well. Oh, nice. Okay. Do you live in Montclair? I live pretty close, yeah. Nice. My whole entire family, all my cousins live in Montclair. So oh, I'm very cool. familiar with the area. That's right, neat. right. Um, okay, awesome. So you're a Korean adoptee. Um, when were you adopted and how old were you? So I was adopted um, sometime in September of 2002. Uh, okay. I was around six months old. So obviously I don't remember anything about Korea or my adoption of my family prior, unfortunately. Um but I was super young, so I obviously grew up in America, raised uh, by in a white family. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about your family for a second. Yeah, so you're sure. a transracial adoptee, as you just said. Your parents are white. Um, do you and you have a mom and a dad, or two moms, two dads, a single parent? Uh, I have a mom and a dad and an older sister. Nice. And um, what is the what's the dynamic like in your family in terms of your adoption? Is 
Uh, is adoption talked about a lot? Is it an open subject or? It's definitely not tiptoed around. It's something that we right. fully, fully embrace. Uh, however, for most of my life, it really wasn't talked about much. Um, it was always just something that we've accepted mm -hmm. uh, and, and just knew, and we didn't find any reason to talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it wasn't until the recent years that I started bringing it up more, kind of looking into my adoption. Uh, I found all the paperwork for it and just read mm -hmm. through that myself. Um, and so I started talking about it more. I started wanting to learn more about Korean culture as a whole and like my my very short life before uh, before I was adopted into America. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely in recent times, it's gotten much more relevant in my life. And you said that that sort of, um, you know, interest for you in looking into the Korean side of your history is more recent. Uh, do you remember what triggered that or what where you were in life that kind of, you know, made you start wondering about all that in the first place? Yeah, I, I remember very specifically. Um, in, in middle school, I had a really good friend who was also a, a Korean American. Um, and that she was the, the, the first friend of mine who was not only Asian, but a Korean as well. Like I had mm. all white friends. I live mm. in a very white town as well. Mm -hmm. So having <laughs> some, having another Asian person in my life was very different, but important to me. And I didn't realize how different it was until I got into like sophomore year of high school. Mm -hmm. um, when I started to really appreciate their very, sorry, the very slight, uh, I guess, introduction uh, mm -hmm. of Korean culture in my life. Yeah. So it was, it was around that time when I'm like, I, I kind of realized that I wanted to know more about it and I wanted to really embrace myself in it as much as I could. Mm. Um, and so as time went on, I very slowly started looking into Korean culture, looking into the foods, the, you know, like the clothing that they wear, stuff like that. Um, and recently I have, uh, I met someone who's also another Korean American mm -hmm. and she's done she's done so much to help me in terms of finding my mm. Korean identity. Um, she's introduced me to so many foods, um, music, which is so important to me. Um, she's helped me learn the language itself. It's, it's not wow. good, but um, <laughs> definitely yeah, having her in my life has been a blessing in its entirety. So I can't thank her enough for that. That's awesome. Um, now, all of these things, you know, getting re reacquainted with the food and the culture and the language and the music and all of that stuff, uh, is so beautiful. And I'm sure you will spend your whole life kind of exploring that and getting into that. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, as you were saying that I was thinking, uh, was that at the beginning for you more of like, you know, oh, like, yeah, these clothes are beautiful, but that's not like what I wear. And, you know, this food is so cool, but you know, that's not what I eat and stuff where I'm trying to just pinpoint, you know, where that disconnect I find that happens between adoptees and their sort of heritage culture um, sort of dissipates. And there's a moment where it kind of comes together. And I just am how that ha wondering how that happened for you. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So when I when when I first met um, that friend of mine, it was very much she introduced a lot of the things to me, but it was like, like you said, it was very much, oh, that's cool, but it's not something I would wear or listen mm -hmm. to or eat. Um, but as time went on, I started to slowly really enjoy it. And it wasn't until I met that second friend of mine that mm -hmm. I was like, this is something that I actually really genuinely enjoy and something that I want in my life, like, mm -hmm. I guess, like permanently. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until she kind of introduced me to everything 
that I kind of realized how important it was to me that I have these things in my life still. So mm-hmm. that that kind of fusion of I like this, but I also want that mm. was very recently. Um, That's so, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I like it and I also want it because I right. feel like as you know, you we can like a lot of things as we go along. And then mm-hmm. but at a certain point when we want to, you know, bring that into our own lives and practices and habits, that's yeah. really when it becomes part of, you know, like a building block to the identity as opposed to one of many things that we like in our right, lives. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and how did your uh family kind of did they shift with you? Did they have questions for you about it? Or was it surprising to them? It was definitely, they didn't, to be totally honest, I don't really mm-hmm. talk about a lot of my own adoption um, mm. journeys with them as much. Mm-hmm. It's mostly with my with my friends who I talk about it with. Mm. Um, but they definitely noticed a big shift in my interest towards Korean culture as a whole. Um, and obviously they're super accepting of it. They encouraged it. They want me to be connected to my ethnicity, my culture and everything right. like that. Um, so there was definitely no resistance to it, but there also wasn't like a strong push for it. It was just kind of, yeah. it just, like, I guess in their minds, it just made sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's the best way I can put it. Yeah. And do you, let's get into that for a second. So yeah. if, if that's okay. So totally. Um, your parents are super supportive and understanding, um, but there's something between you and your parents that, you know, you, as you said, you don't talk about your own personal story all that much. Yeah. And do you know why that is? Do you feel like you have an inkling as to, you know, what's going on in the dynamic there? I think a big part of it for me personally is that, like, obviously I, how do I word this? I feel like it makes them uncomfortable talking about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. my life at like not quote unquote not as their child right I see yeah totally so I don't want to make them uncomfortable thinking like oh I want to abandon everything I have and kind of switch to like a Korean based culture it's not at all what I'm trying to say I want to merge the two that I have already yeah um but it's just I often find it hard for me to express what I feel and for them to fully understand it because they won't have an understanding the way I do right they Um, yeah absolutely And so that lack of understanding is just kind of hard because, you know, it's, this is something I'm so passionate about Mm -hmm. and something that I want to pursue very much. And obviously they care, obviously they support it no matter what, Mm -hmm. but because they don't have that, or because they don't have the same level of connection, it's just kind of, it, it, to me, it it almost seems fake. Yeah. I see see what you're saying. Yeah. But like, it's just to them, it's not as big as it is for me. Yeah. And of course, you know, your parents and my parents, and I'm sure everyone who's listening is parents, you know, our parents can support us in doing, you know, what we're in, in, in our dreams and endeavors and all that stuff. But, you know, that doesn't imply that they understand what we're going through at the same time. Exactly. Um, so I totally, totally get that. Uh, you just mentioned it. So I want to take the opportunity to kind of go in this direction. Sure. Um how do you feel about, you know, searching for your, you know, birth family, going back to your 
uh, going back to Seoul, where you were adopted from and kind of connecting in that way with the Korean part of your identity. And where do you think your parents would fit into that? Do you think that would be something that you would do on your own or a family thing or you're not interested and that's totally fine too? Ever since I had the concept of adoption and the mm-hmm. fact that I was from another place, born from mm-hmm. other parents, I've wanted to go back. To really? And, that's and, awesome. meet, and hopefully meet my, 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 my mother. Yeah. Um, I, I know a lot about like the circumstances of my birth. I know how old my parents were I know what happened to them like yeah. while everything was happening and do so, you mind sharing no not at all I, I awesome it's, it's honestly kind of funny not funny yeah but, le- le- I'd love to hear it sure um so my mother was around 19 when she had me mm-hmm. um she met my father online I guess they must have dated for a little bit mm-hmm. but when she got pregnant my father left and there's really no records on him other than a name and how old he was he was about 20 I think so not much older than she was but he left completely um and she left and he left her with obviously a child and Mm -hmm. her being like basically fresh out of high school essentially she didn't know what to do so she she just had me and put me up for adoption Mm -hmm. um I was in an orphanage for I think four months or so um I'm not really too sure on the specifics of that Mm -hmm. but um I can't find any contact information yet, mm. um, but it's not much, but I, I know the basic story of it all, which is so it's you, honestly, it's pretty comforting. Yeah. So I was going to say, so you have taken the steps to look into it and find oh, yeah. as much information as you can. What was sure. that process like for you? Like, I'm imagining you like sitting at your computer and like, you're about to hit like enter or something. And it's like this big anticipatory moment. I remember the first time I, I really kind of looked in depth in my papers. I was sitting at my kitchen table. It was a couple summers ago, to be honest. Mm. Um, and I'm just like sorting through these files and these papers and these folders looking for anything in English that I can find. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find this one sheet. It was just like the names of the parents, like uh, a very brief summary of like what had happened. You know, the hospital that I was born at, you know, very basic things. But mm-hmm. as I was reading it, I, I remember started I started crying because it's just like mm. I've never had this information before and yeah totally and seeing it and and reading it, it was just so like it made me happy but at the it was so bittersweet yeah um yeah yeah I f- I think that that's something unique to adoptees in particular be you know that feeling of even something, you know, so seemingly trivial, like, you know, just a one sheet of paper fat, like, you know, that's wrinkled and crumpled, but Mm -hmm. you know, that one sheet of paper can be the tangible object that represents an entire other life you could have had or an entire other family that you could have had. And that is such a powerful realization um, that adoptees feel, you know, like multiple times throughout their life, you know, it's not like a one and done situation. No, for sure. It's like that, that, that one piece of paper, honestly, was almost all of the answers that I had been asking myself for so many years. Yeah, um, and, and getting those answers was so like, re- relieving almost like it mm, was such a, mm-hmm. a good feeling. But at the same time, it was it just opened a whole other door of questions that I'm still trying to answer for myself. Yeah. Well, that reminds me um, of this other conversation that I had from season one. And I 
he was also a Korean adoptee, if memory serves me correctly. And he said something that I think will stick with me forever, which was he found his um, like birth family and he spent time with them and he has this whole relationship with them now. But he was talking to me about that process and he said, you know, the thing I didn't expect and the thing I didn't plan for was all of that wondering, you know, that you, Andrew, just mentioned, um, all of that wondering, you know, all of a sudden just it's gone. You don't, you're not wondering anymore because you have all those answers. And that was just such a wild experience that he couldn't have anticipated. And, you know, he could see this whole other life that he would have had painted out before him instead of just, you know, a big question mark. And I think that that's something that is so it's cool and bittersweet and full of relief because, you know, it, it answers questions and then brings up more questions at the same time. You know, yeah, it's, exactly. it's, it's so crazy. Um, how do you, how have you like handled that emotionally processed all of those kind of big questions, all that wondering uh, from whenever it started until up, I think you said two summers, a couple summers ago when you were looking through all those papers. It, it was in my early life. It was definitely hard. Um, I remember a lot feeling very, not unwanted, but just out of place almost. Mm. Um, it was like something was missing that I couldn't, that I couldn't obtain. And that mm. feeling of longing almost was yeah, really kind of brutal for a long time. Yeah. Um, but as I kind of grew up and as I obviously found the papers, um, I started to accept it and realize that, you know, this happened for a reason and a good reason at that. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't be mad at my birth mother for anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm not either. Like everything makes sense to me. It's not to say that it isn't still hard sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, the questions, the wonder, you know, wondering what she's doing sometimes or wondering if she even remembers me. Right. Like at yeah, all. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's like, you know, curiosity kills the cat. And in this case, I am the cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I totally get that. The whole idea of feeling like out of place because you can't get answers to your questions yeah. um, is something I feel like every, all a lot of adoptees. Oh, I'm sure of it can relate to. Um, have you ever looked into kind of doing any, well, I guess, do you know if you're like a hundred percent Korean? Given No. How- <laughs> funny, funny enough, uh, recently with that second friend I was talking about, mm-hmm. um, um, a friend of hers who I believe is Chinese mm-hmm. said that because my, my given name is Chong um, Sung-won. Okay. Uh, so Chong is not, a, or Chang, I guess, is not a very typical Korean last name I've been told before Mm. and so she thinks that my father could have been Chinese or some some other race that isn't Korean or ethnicity my bad um and like I'm totally open to that like I don't personally know myself um I guess my only defense against that is that he didn't really have a say in the naming process because he wasn't there right um but yeah I don't know from from what I saw in the birth records it seems that I am 100% Korean Hmm, that's awesome. Um, that's cool. Would you ever do like a, a DNA oh, test? Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's awesome. How have you, how did you growing up in New Jersey handle kind of being seen as Asian, you know, air quotes versus white air quotes? Yeah, and, I love this question. This is, yeah. this is awesome. Um, so, you know, just give it to me. What are yeah. your thoughts? <laughs> no, um, it's again, growing up, like I knew that I was different from everybody. I was yeah. one of like maybe two or three minorities in my, every single wow. class that I was in. Yeah. 
the town I live in is very, it's very white. Mm-hmm. And obviously in recent years, it's gotten more, um, much, much more mixed. Um, yeah. Um, but growing up, it's, I guess I saw myself as white, like not culturally, but like, I don't, I don't know how to explain it other than I just viewed myself oh, as, as being white because yeah. everyone I was associated with was white. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I, I quote unquote dressed white, you know, right. everything like that, whatever that means, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, I was exactly the same. I'm right there with you. But like, you know, it, again, and very recently, my style has changed a lot. Very, mm-hmm. um, I guess, like Korean based fashion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I love, you know, I think fashion is a wonderful way of expressing oneself. And so through that, I've kind of become much more comfortable in my own skin again. Yeah, um, that's awesome. I, I love that. That's awesome. Well, you look very stylish, Thank like you. just looking at you and your shirt is awesome. <laughs> Thank um, you. How has COVID been for you? Like not, I mean, as a person, as a person just going through something re- crazy and, you know, new, but also as a person with an Asian face, uh, how has COVID been? Personally, so much has changed. I, I'm a completely different person than I was when when everything shut down. Mm-hmm. And I love that, you know, I love mm-hmm. working on myself and becoming who I, you know, That's truly awesome. want to be as cliche as that sounds, but it's very true. Yeah. But in, in terms of, of, you know, my race and how it's affecting me, it, honest to god like it was a little scary in the beginning mm. like i i what the areas in which i live are relative like pretty liberal pretty mm-hmm. accepting of, of most things but mm-hmm. you know it's i can't help but feel sometimes the stares or you know the definitely. glances that i would get at people that would, i would get from people and definitely I, I try to ignore it as much as i can and i try not to think about it but when it when i, I feel when I, I feel like it happens so much it just it kind of gets to me and then I I, I want to hide my face with a mask and sunglasses yeah. I want yeah. I don't want to leave my house you know yeah there was a time when it was so bad I thought that people would come to my house and like you, you know like do something to the house whether it's like yeah like vandalize it or yeah something. Vandal- exactly right yeah. and obviously it's not going to happen where I am um it's like thank god but just seeing all the anti-Asian hate and the hate against the AAPI community, it was just so, it was scary because that's that's really the first time in my entire life that hate towards the Asian community has been so relevant in my life and it's something mm-hmm. that I can really process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it was honestly, it was very scary for a, mm-hmm. a, a little bit. I want to ask you this because it's it, it's a less serious question. I think it'd be yeah. fun to talk about. Go for it. And especially because you mentioned you're super into fashion and music and everything. Um, so I have, in COVID, discovered BTS. And mm. I'm mentioning them because obviously they're a Korean like band. Uh, but I, I'm not sure if you follow them because of your combination of music and fashion. Obviously, right. they are into both a lot. And mm-hmm. I, but I had never listened to them or really been into them until 2021, like a few months ago. And I have fallen so far down a BTS obsessive hole. I can't come out of it. And so I like, not to mention, I love that they do, you know, have political views and they do stand up for, uh, 
you know, they stood up for the Black Lives Matter movement oh, happening yeah. here in the States. And, you know, they right. donated money to BLM and all that kind of stuff. And that was awesome mm-hmm. um, and everything. And so, you know, do you like them? Do you follow them? And, you know, what's your opinion? <laughs> it's so funny that you mentioned this because just last night I was hanging out with that second friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And for like, it must've been like four hours, a couple hours, we just went through Korean music that she mm-hmm. loves and that she wanted to show me. Um, and uh, like, I never was, I never didn't like BTS. I thought they were fine. It's just not my personal music taste. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But very slowly, I started listening to more and more Korean music, you know, BTS, yeah. Day6, um, Taeyeon. I love yep. Taeyeon. I'm not going to lie. Uh, oh My Girl, I think is great. Red Velvet, Promise 9. You know, just like a bunch of us, like these really, really talented uh, K-pop groups. Totally. And I love it. Um, I found like, all the songs that like all the groups that I just listed, I found literally last night. That's awesome. And I, they've just been like on repeat in my head. Ah, oh, that's so um, cool. And yeah. I love it. Like it's, it kind of sucks that I can't understand what they're saying yet. I know. Yeah. Um, but one day I, I promise this to myself that I, I will know every single word to every single song. That that's I like. awesome. That's so awesome. I'm, I sometimes this maybe sounds ridiculous, but during those moments in COVID where there was a lot of AAPI violence going on, I would literally think like, okay, BTS is going to save the world. They're going to show the world that you can be Asian looking and like not be dangerous at all and not be like contagious with COVID. And you can be like global superstars, but you can also be really good people. I was like, BTS is just going to save the world. It's going to be great. Um, so that's so funny. I just had to ask that question. No, it's, it's, it was I, very I love, relevant. <laughs> I love the introduction of Korean music in Western culture. It was, yeah. Because um, like the surge in, the, in recent years has just been astronomical, you know? Totally. Um, and I love seeing that representation of, although it's not exactly Korean culture, but like right. a big part of Korean culture in Western yeah. society is something that I really do enjoy a lot. I guess the one like slight downside is that because of their rise to fame, mm-hmm. Um, and because of my style choices, the amount of times that I get asked, oh, are you trying to look like so-and-so from this Oh, group? really? Or oh, no. Do, uh, like, <laughs> do you, um, I've literally, the amount of times that I've gotten from like, you know, school mutual friends of mine or like even random strangers, like, oh, you look like so-and-so from this group. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's cool. But like, I don't really know who that is. And they're right. like, oh, really? Like, you look just like him. Yeah. Um, yep. So it's a compliment, but at the same time, it's, it's, I, I never really know how to take it. So. Yeah. Well, do you feel like that is sort of like a microaggressive form of racism? I definitely does think it feel it, like that. I definitely think it can be viewed as that. I personally don't take it as that. Cause I know that they have no negative intentions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that it's just them, you know, either complimenting or making a comment on my, on how I look. Um, so it's, I never take it like that. Um, but it is sometimes frustrating that just because I decide to look or because I decide to present myself a certain way that people assume it's because of a music group. Right. Um, and it's, it's really not the case at all. It's honestly, honestly, it's just, it's just coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Um, I feel like, um, depending on who is saying that it can sometimes lean towards being, feeling like that. Uh, racist trope where all Asians look the same right so you know like uh, I might like yeah my hair color might be the same as that guy in the band but we really don't have the same face and if I wasn't Asian like you probably wouldn't be like making that connection yeah 
So how do you experience being, speaking of BTS and music and things, um, I'm not sure how far along you are in, in carving out your career in music and all of that, but wherever you are, how has being a Korean adoptee in the music business been for you? And I guess a larger uh, question is how has being a minority for you in general in the music industry been? I wouldn't consider myself in the industry <laughs> yet, <laughs> um, but, but no, it's it's interesting. Um, my music taste is very, a, a lot of people think I listen to BTS and mm-hmm you know, all those Asian groups. And I do a lot. I enjoy it, but it's not like my main music choice, Mm -hmm. I guess. And so when I tell people the music I make, they're like, oh, that's not what I was expecting at all. Mm -hmm. So because of those comments, I I feel like there's this expectation that I can't live up to and that I don't want to live Mm up to. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like, it's like, it's a form of pressure, to be honest. Right. You know, it's like, I, I feel like when I show people the music, that they don't expect it and then because of that they're not disappointed but they're just I guess they're just surprised yeah and so it's always kind of like is what I'm making is it right and like Mm. I know it is I I I love the music that I make I'm so proud of all of it but but I can't help but think sometimes like is this what they expect from me right Um, yeah Mm. it's, it's not something that's always on my mind but it's definitely there have been a few a few times when I kind of questioned if I should even continue with me with making music at all. Mm. Um, because of the expectations and yeah, exactly because of, yeah. because of the expectations because of I guess because of the fame honestly because of the fame of BTS it's like they have such a, a unique sound that's so like specific right. and you know yeah. that whole genre does and so when they see me who looks like a K-pop star I feel like they just automatically assume that's the music I make and it's it's not at all yeah definitely like a form of typecasting for sure definitely yeah Yeah, absolutely looking forward to the future uh and I guess the future outside of COVID um what do you hope comes of your journey into your Korean um history and your Korean side and your Korean story and how do you how do you hope to incorporate that into your identity who you'll be you know moving forward I definitely want to find the answers that I've been looking for yeah I mean in my entire life mm-hmm. um, I want to be at peace with them as well mm-hmm. uh, and I guess as, as far as the future goes I really do want to live a very you know Korean based and inspired life mm-hmm. um, I think that the culture is so beautiful and you know, the clothing, the foods, like the lang- the, the language and the, like everything about yeah. it, I just think is the so, culture. so pretty. Yeah. yeah. I definitely want to have a very large Korean influence on my life. That's awesome. I love that. Um, and if, if you could share, you know, a piece of advice, wisdom, something that you've learned that you wish you'd learned earlier um, to younger adoptees, the up and coming uh, what would what is something that you would share with them? Embrace it, definitely embrace it, and learn to love it. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard, but once you do that, you'll find that everything gets easier from there. Once you learn to love who you are, where you came from, and accept it. That's awesome. I think that's great advice. Thank you so much for being here. I've really enjoyed talking with me. you. This was, this was amazing. Yeah, this was awesome. 
Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode, the very first one of season three. And we will see you next week. A big thanks to Andrew again for just being willing to come on the show and share his story and talk about his life. Uh, we were so happy to have him. And I wanted to take a few minutes now, as I said I would try and do at the end of my interviews, to just kind of reflect on the conversation and flush out a couple things that came up. So, you know, the process is happening in real time for all of you. And hopefully, you know, uh, being here while I process the information can help you guys who's, who are listening process what you're hearing as well. So bear with me because I'm looking at my notes right now and I'm kind of doing this on the fly. So one thing that I noticed Andrew talk about was how his family was supportive of him and his uh, desire to learn more about Korea and you know that kind of side of his history. Uh, but he did mention that they didn't actually talk about his adoption all that much, even though he did feel like it was a positive thing overall in the house, which is great. Obviously, that's a good starting point. We want to be uh, feeling, you know, starting out in a positive way and making sure that our parents, or if you are the parent and you're listening, just making sure that um, our children or our adopted children you know, know and feel like it is a safe place for them or for us, depending on who uh, who's listening, to, you know, share any anything on our minds about being adopted if we wanted to. It's nice to know that that door is open. I'm sure that if you've been listening for a few episodes at least, you will have heard me talk about communication and I've mentioned it before where I've been guests on other podcasts as well. In, and just, you know, I always like to remind people that over-communicating is better than under-communicating. And I try and live my life that way um, all the time in all my relationships, regardless of whether it has to do with adoption or not. But particularly between parent and child, uh, and particularly when your child is adopted, Communicating is extremely important, especially because if you think about it, you know, you're the adoptee is probably a child, you know, could be older, doesn't have to necessarily be a baby, but, um, you know, they're just children. And so, as the adult in the situation, um, it is essentially on that person's shoulders, on the adult, on the parent, on the guardian, on the adopter to make sure that that child knows that they can always uh, come to them with any questions because a child is not going to understand the emotional complexity of being adopted, being transracial, and all of that stuff. You know, they don't understand. They can't understand those implications until several years later when they're older. So it's especially important that the adult take on a proactive role of just making sure the door is open. Um, I know that Andrew did mention in his interview that, you know, one of the reasons he feels like uh, his parents don't talk about 
his adoption a lot is because there's really nothing to discuss. And I think that that is a very common, uh, like, assumption in families where adoption is present. Uh, And I understand that, of course. Like, for, I don't know, for 20 years of my life, I also felt like there was nothing to discuss. There was no point. I didn't feel a specific way about anything. And ultimately, that is Andrew's choice. You know, that's where his comfort zone is and so he's doing what works for him which you know I'm totally not criticizing I support any everybody doing what they feel is best for them Uh, but in general I feel like the idea of nothing to discuss is a little bit of just like a miscommunication almost between the adoptee and the adopter just because as I said you know the child or the adoptee in that situation is only going to have things to talk about as they go through life, as they have experiences, as they live it in real time. So if you're the adoptee, you know, you're not really going to, I don't really think that's ever going to change until you reach a certain point when you're like, oh no, I do need to talk about these things and I do want to talk about these things. Once you want to, Once that avenue is available to you through, you know, maturing with age and experience and what you're exposed to and all of that stuff that life throws at you, um, then I think that's when that narrative changes. If you're the adoptor, though, or the parent or the guardian, then try and think about it, like, from their perspective, right? Like, you don't, you're not going to be able to Uh, for example, I don't know, discuss heartbreak until it happens to you, right? So your kid or the uh, child that you're a guardian of isn't going to discuss how being adopted makes them feel until they come across something that like changes the scenario for them from I'm comfortable to, oh, what is happening? I need to think about this and explore it. And if you're the adult, you can start that conversation. You can just say, you know, whenever you're ready, and it's okay if it's not right now, but whenever you are, um, I am here to discuss with you whatever you would like to discuss. And I know that my parents did that for me, and I think it just makes a world of difference. One of the things that I have come across in this podcast, and if you are an OG listener, then you will know this too. Uh, But, you know, people have trouble communicating with their parents about their adoption. And I totally, totally get that. Um, I feel like I'm figuring out new ways to communicate about my adoption to all the people in my life still all the time. So I just wanted to touch on that idea of um, communication and uh, especially in the context between an adoptee and an an adoptor uh, just because it is so so I mean I think it is the most important thing so I just wanted to touch on that the other thing I wanted to touch on really quickly is um, that idea or that shift that Andrew had that he was talking about where his one of his friends was introducing him to you know Korean food and Korean clothes and Korean music and you know just different aspects of Korean culture and 
you know, Andrew at first was like, oh, I like it, but I don't really know if that's for me because that's not what he was familiar with in terms of being a transracial adoptee and growing up uh, without the presence of that Korean culture in that way that his friend was introducing him to. And, you know, I asked him what shifted for you where all of a sudden you were able to connect with the Korean culture and the things you were learning from your friend in a more personal way. And, you know, Andrew described it in a really simple way, which I love. He said, you know, I went from just liking it, but not really, it wasn't for me to, oh, I like that and I want that in a way where I want that like in my life I want the presence of that in my life um, and I want to integrate that into my identity. I think that that idea is really cool. I like it and I want it. It's very assertive and uh, decisive and I like that it's full of confidence knowing what you want and knowing what value it will add to your life I think is so key Um, and I think you know the transition between where Andrew was uh, at the beginning versus where he was at the end when he was learning about all of the culture you know for uh, from oh I like it but that's not me to I like that and maybe it's not me right now but I want that to become part of me Um, it's just a really cool uh, experience and change, change, uh, shift, you know, to, to happen in your life. And just to be so cognizant and aware that it's happening, um, is, is just so awesome. And so if anyone out there is also experiencing that, whether you're on, you know, on the former side where you're still kind of struggling with the, I like it, but it's not me, like, you know, that situation, before you get kind of before you cross the bridge and you get to the other side of oh no I want that I want that to be me Um, I just wanted to touch on you know the before leading up to stage because it's something that I personally have experienced a lot in my life where oh I didn't want to do this or be too interested in that because it's too Asian or it's too Chinese And I'm not saying that that is necessarily the exact same reason why Andrew experienced it, uh, but that's, you know, my connection to it. And I'm sure that if it's happening to me, then it's happening to other people as well. Um, So I want to talk about it in 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 a larger framework. That idea of wanting to avoid something because you're afraid of... Uh, what people will think about you if you if you do it or you know if people will judge you or make assumptions about you all of that stuff is what in psychology we call stereotype threat and I'm saying it like that just because I feel like putting a name to something if if it's affecting you can be really helpful and help kind of bring your power back over whatever it is you're having trouble conquering uh so and if you don't study psychology then you wouldn't know so it's called stereotype threat and that basically is you know you are worried about what people will think of you to the point where you let that affect whether you do it or not and whether or not someone will think oh you're just you know another 
Asian or whatever. I remember a few uh, weeks ago, I posted on on uh, stories saying I was rocking out to BTS in the car and I was feeling super self-conscious about looking like an Asian person and listening to Asian music uh, because I was worried that people would think like, oh, like I knew it, all Asians just listen to Asian music. Like they listen to music in not English or something. And that was definitely stereotype threat at work. I was worried that people would think of me as too Asian because I was listening to non-American, quote unquote, non-American music. And there are a whole a whole list of things <laughs> that are wrong in that scenario. And when I say wrong, I mean, you know, like a shift of mindset was definitely needed for me in that moment. Um, which is what I did because I hopped on stories and I shared it with all of you. And then I got responses back that were saying like, oh my God, I do that all the time. And I always wonder like what the other people looking at me are thinking when I'm doing, you know, X, Y, and Z or whatever it is. So I know that I'm not the only one here. (laughs) So stereotype threat. Uh, My other point, well, I just wanted to explain what it was. And then my second thing about it was you don't have to be adopted to experience stereotype threat. You, it can, you know, it can be about gender. You can, you know, oh, I'm afraid to wear pink because I'm afraid people are just going to be like, oh, of course, all girls wear pink or, um, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like this sometimes with, with my dog, Mo, um, he's small and he's white and he's fluffy and I am also small in stature. So when I walk with him outside, people assume he's a girl. And I think that that's because, well, I guess he has his own stereotype threat situation going on where he's small and white. And I think uh, stereotypically those dogs tend to be girls, you know, with a bow or, you know, a a blinged out collar or something. But I feel the stereotype threat happening in that situation because I feel like, oh, of course it would be a girl who would have a small little dog. It doesn't matter if he's white or whatever, but a small dog, right? Like, how girly and you wouldn't see a guy with a small dog like that or whatever that is stereotype threat at work so you don't have to be adopted you don't have to be a girl either it can be about your sexual orientation or about how you dress or the color of your eyes it could literally be anything that you are worried about what people think to the point where it affects what you do and your choices um it could be like whether you're quote unquote too like big or too small, whether you feel like you're fat or skinny, you know, ever, anything. Um, and there's actually a really cool Hidden Brain episode about stereotype threat that is really, really educational and cool. So I definitely recommend it. It's back from, it was in February. So uh, I um, I think it's still in their podcast catalog. So you can go and search for it. I think it's called how they see us um but basically it's it's all about stereotype threat and they talk to different uh shankar talks to different psychologists on the show but i just wanted to touch on one part that he talks about in that that you know the episode talks about and uh there's this um he's a columnist for the new york times and he was a graduate student at u chicago at the time when he is talking about he's you know 
recalling this memory of his when from when he was a grad student at University of Chicago. Uh, and it's uh, the excerpt is from his book called Parallel Time, which is his autobiography. He's called, I should mention his name. <laughs> uh, it's Brent Staples. And I will put a link to, if I can, I will put a link to the Hidden Brain episode as well as this book uh, in the show notes, which I've never used before. So there we go, show notes. Um, but yeah, so Staples basically goes over this idea of, and he called it Whistling Vivaldi. And that was, that's what he called it. So he would walk around the University of Chicago campus and he was a big black dude. And he noticed that people around him on the campus would, you know, their body language would indicate to him, to him that they were afraid of him, basically. People around him were intimidated by him because of his size and stature and, of course, because he was black. So uh, he decides to kind of do this experiment where he walks around campus like he does every day, but instead of like normal where he usually has headphones on, he's listening to music or something, uh, he whistles classical Vivaldi music. And he realizes that everybody around him treats him differently when they hear him whistling Vivaldi. They don't act scared of him anymore. They don't turn away, turn their bodies away from him. And they just basically change the way that they treat him um, because he's now whistling something that could couldn't possibly... Uh, it couldn't possibly be that he's, you know, from quote unquote the ghetto or he's dangerous or uh, a threat if he's whistling classical music. Uh, and obviously this was an experiment and he was right. He was totally right about uh, people prejudging him and making assumptions about him based on stereotypes. And this was his way of working with the stereotype threat to conquer it and move beyond it uh, as well as further his education in psychology and his degree. So I just wanted to share that story because it's a cool story, but it also directly impacts stereotype threat, right? And I feel like that is the goal, at least for me, that's the goal, where instead of letting the fear of stereotype of being stereotyped, letting that stereotype threat get to me where, you know, to where, you know, I don't listen to BTS or I listen to it with the windows rolled up so nobody can hear that I'm listening to like Asian music or something. Instead of doing that, I should be working or want to be working towards, you know, figuring out what my own whistling Vivaldi is so that I feel like I am conquering my own stereotype threat while also... I don't know, maybe like deconstructing other people's stereotypes about me at the same time and not letting it affect me to the point where I do or don't do something because of what other people are going to think. You know, that's just not who I want to be. And this was a really cool way to uh, show that you can overcome that in whatever way works best for you. So I hope you really liked this little reflection uh, portion of the episode just because my interview with Andrew was a little bit shorter. 
I really enjoyed talking uh, talking through some of this stuff and taking notes, and I feel like I'm getting to know you guys a little bit better and more intimately, so that's always the best part for me. And with that, we will see you next week. And just a quick side note that I forgot to mention in this episode's outro, uh, the normal music that you hear will actually be replaced with music that Andrew and his friend created themselves because they're in a little band together and I thought it would be cool to feature it so I asked Andrew to send it to send the file to me uh, and so I'm gonna play that as we close out the episode so you won't hear my voice or anything at the end as always please share this episode with a friend subscribe to the podcast if you aren't already make sure you follow us on Instagram so that you don't miss out on every Q&A each week and a couple other fun things that happen throughout the season as well. And without further ado, here is Andrew and his friend's song, Drifting.